0: Um, again, we begin just a short series to kick off our new year, and to uh, really be thinking about the things that that kind of uh, should motivate us and encourage us in our walk in faith as we begin a new year. And. Um, So this morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy. Uh, It says in the bulletins, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, but we'll really focus on 14. And in many ways kind of have a high view of the whole letter, um, as a matter of fact. So uh, if you want to turn to page 996 in a pew Bible, or in your own Bible to 2 Timothy 3, um, we'll begin our time in the Word. I want you to imagine if you would with me, what it would be like to be in a Roman prison back in the New Testament times awaiting execution. I want you to think about that just for a moment. That's sort of the, 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 the crux of this letter, the background of this letter. Paul, uh, sometime in the mid-60s, um, had... Uh, uh, been a soldier of the Lord. He, he had traveled the world. He was taking the gospel um, where he was able to take the gospel. He was planting churches. He was encouraging the saints. He was risking all in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of trial, in the midst of abandonment uh, and persecution. And now he's sitting in a Roman prison waiting to be executed. Uh, this is the final letter that we have by Paul. Uh, and Second Timothy has often been called Paul's last will and testament. In the letter, he exhorts Timothy and us to boldness, endurance, faithfulness in the face of difficulty. Um, as we come to the context of our text today in chapter 3, Paul begins with these words, but understand this, in these last days there will come times of difficulty. So after the death and ascension of Jesus Christ, the next thing on God's agenda that we know about in the Word is the return of Christ. So we are, in fact, living in the last days. We are still living in the last days. We personally don't know if we're in the last of the last of the last days or not. We don't know that. We don't know how long the Lord will carry But Paul wrote this as though he was living in the last days, as though it was imminent, the imminent return of Christ. And so I think that all people throughout all ages should live as though Christ's return is imminent. And so as we consider that, um, uh, this chapter... That Paul uh, will pin for us or has pinned for us today he offers a strong dose of reality for us Um, there is going to be difficult times there will be suffering there may be persecution there may be all sorts of things and so the question that we ask ourselves is is how do we live in such times We may or may not personally be facing these particular issues today. The the focus still remains the same. How do we, as God's people, live in the last days that we are in? How do we do that? So this morning, we'll get a little bit of of an encouragement and understanding of how that is. And so let's look at 2 Timothy. We'll start in verse 14 of chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Let's pray. Father, as you have revealed the light of Christ into our lives, Lord, may his word shine deep in our hearts this morning. I pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate these these words, these truths for us, that we may know you better, that we may make you known. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Today again in this uh, three-week series uh, called New Beginnings, we want to consider these last days that we'll continue that we continue to face and the difficult times uh, before the return of our Lord. Uh, it's a reality that we live in. However, uh, the believer's remedy of help in the midst of all of this. So says Paul, as the inspired Word of God. So let's kind of dig in a little bit into the danger that Paul talks about here in the last days. That'll be our first point. Secondly, we'll look at the truth that we need. Um, and then finally, we'll look at the value of God's Word. So what about the dangers of the last days? In verse 14, Paul says, but as for you. He says, but as for you. So he's marking a strong contrast for us. Now, I've already alluded to Paul's thinking in the the difficult days uh, of the last days, but to better understand the remedy, we must understand the disease that Paul speaks of here in 2 Timothy. So let's take a little bit of a high view of the letter. He begins in the letter by exhorting uh, Timothy of the importance of remaining faithful. Uh, Paul turns then, after his, his charge in the first chapter, he, he in chapter 2, then begins to turn a bright light on the false teachers of the day. Uh, he focuses there in, in chapter 2, verse 14 on this. And then he culminates his teaching here in chapter 3 by highlighting the moral decadence of false teachers and the life consequence that follows wrong teaching. So in verses two through four, he begins to list a mixture of wrong actions, wrong attitudes, that ultimately brings out vividly the difference between love of self and love of God. Let's look at that list here. Look in, um, let's see, chapter two, uh, chapter three here, verse two. Look at verse two. and then he continues so he highlights the moral decadence but notice again as we have if maybe you've read this before and you look at it and you think in the last days all that's going to be going on out there it's out there it's in the world but what Paul is pointing to here, and, and there is a difference here. Scholars wrestle back and forth. What is he exactly talking about here? But the main thrust of Timothy through this section is he is focusing here on the false teachers that are in their midst. There are several words here that point to the arrogance of the false teachers. Boastful, proud, abusive, brutal, conceited. And he's using a a kind of a, 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 a Greek literary way of exposing who these people are. The worst feature is that these people claim some form of godliness. That they're pretending to be religious, but have no intention of putting their beliefs into practice. This mere form without the power is highly damaging, as we see here. Therefore, Paul urges Timothy to have nothing to do with them. And so that's another thing that kind of points us here in the context of this. If he were to say, don't have anything to do with those people out there, that can't possibly be true. Because in other places, he says over and over again, you know, uh, the world is going to be the world. But if believers act in this way, don't have anything to do with them. So, this is the focus of Paul. He goes on to note the methods of these fallen teachers. They are insidious. A most striking expression reveals them as get this, worming their way into homes. They, they began to approach gullible women. Now, the question here with scholars is, is that this it sounds kind of bad toward why would he highlight the women? You know, there's a lot of reasons why he could do that. For example, what happened to Eve in the garden? She was taken in by Satan, but because of that, Adam is held accountable and responsible, correct? So if we win the women here, will win the men too. Whatever the case is, the such selection of gullible people as recipients is characteristic of most false teachers. Think about the false teachers that you have known that have done horrible things in the last 100 years. Horrible things. Led people to, to drink poison. Gullible folks. Gullible people. To show the full impact of their treachery, he references Jonas and Jambres in verse 8. They are referred to nowhere else in the Bible, but do occur in the Targum of Jotham, an interpretation of the Hebrew Bible. By Paul's time then, it was presumably common knowledge that those were the names of Pharaoh's magicians who opposed Moses in the book of Genesis. Or in the book of the Exodus. So, so if you think about that for a moment, what he's doing is, is he's drawing a similarity here between the magicians and the false teachers in that both explicitly and diligently opposed the truth. They meant to come out against it. They desired to the word fighters so to speak through their teaching nullify the power of true hope and from the end of chapter 2 we see that they they play into the hands honestly and ultimately of satanic power so that's what's going on in the realm of false teachers that you have to understand that the scripture makes clear they are of the hand of the devil It is Satan who is working those things out. So in other words, it's it's extremely evil. It's extremely wicked. It's coming against the Lord. It is satanic. As Calvin notes, listen to this, they keep up the appearance of piety, shelter themselves under the name of God, and yet they are guilty of so many and aggravated acts of wickedness. Consider, if you will, the many crimes that flourished in the life of the Pharisees. And yet, as if they had been pure from every stain, they enjoyed a reputation of eminent holiness. So, you just, so do you see what Paul is revealing here? He is revealing the wickedness of false teachers. As a matter of fact, in the, in the beginning section of the letter, he mentions several false teachers and those who opposed him. The picture that Paul paints is obviously relevant in any age and time in which false teachers are operating in the last days. In other words, if you go back through history, back to this time, you will see as they began, as soon as the Lord was resurrected from the dead, and they have continued to do these wicked things. So it is important for us that in the last days we understand that there's going to be periods of of calm as well as periods of great storms of the expression of false teaching. We will see the ramifications of that even in greater society, especially in today's world where there are things of good as well as when the restraints are removed, we will see all sorts of evil. Where might you see that today? Where might you see that manifesting itself? Perhaps in the proclamation of prosperity instead of the proclamation of the true gospel. In the peddling of unbiblical sexual lifestyle in the name of freedom and love instead of a biblical view of sexual relationships being reserved for marriage between a man and a woman perhaps the deceptive lives of your best life now. Now, let me tell you something here, okay? And I want you to understand this. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I think I might have mentioned this in an earlier sermon at some point, but I was having a, a Bible study with, uh, with uh, someone from the church who will remain nameless. And in the Bible study, he said, you always seem to be concerned about the culture. And I stepped back in my mind and I thought, that's interesting. Interesting. So I said, why do you think that? He says, we're always talking about these things like that. And I said, brother, I'm so sorry. I said, I need to do a better job of communicating. To be honest with you, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. What I am concerned about is what's going on in the church. In those who call themselves of Christ. We need to be concerned about that. The world's going to do what it's going to do, and it's a concern to us. We are concerned about that. But when the world begins to seep into the church, when the world begins to proclaim these, I mean, when the church begins to proclaim the things that the world says are good and fine and and that we know in Scripture are not, that's when we need to be concerned. There's also theological debates and issues from legalism to antinomianism. From the lordship debate to the new perspective. The idea here is, and what Paul would challenge us to, is that we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. I took the kids yesterday to, a the, the couple of the little kids yesterday to the, to the, whatever, the bounce house. What's that thing called? What's it called, Silas? Yeah, Urban Air. So I don't know if any of you have ever been to Urban Air. It's just trampolines. You jump on them all day long and all this stuff and everything. So I took them to Urban Air and I noticed I was standing in line and there was a young woman and she was, it's a huge line you got to wait in because you have to sign waivers and all this stuff. They have to put little bands on you. So you're waiting in line and then the lady's up there and she's taking money and she's taking credit cards. She takes a dollar bill and she looks up in the light like that. Why'd she do that? She was checking for counterfeit. I thought it was funny how she just did it in front of the person that gave it to her. But it's just interesting. You see, what, what, what we have to do is we have to be discerning of what truth is and what the counterfeit is. But how? How? In contrast to these people, Paul exhorted Timothy to remain faithful to the Word of God. He was to remain faithful to the voice that had shaped him. The voice of God in his written word. And so let's consider our second point, the truth that we need. The truth we need. The only way to be able to tell the truth from that which is false, to be able to tell which is true from that which is counterfeit, is by knowing the word of God. We have to know the Scriptures. We have to hear and take heed of His shaping voice, the wo- voice of God's Word in our lives. And specifically, in verse 14, Timothy here of chapter 3, Timothy urged to remain faithful. Uh, he re- I'm sorry, he, he urged Timothy to remain faithful to the things that he had learned. So he says that you know, basically the idea comes across throughout the Scripture, I mean throughout this text uh, in Second Timothy, the whole letter, that he had been taught firmly to believe in the Word of God and the sacred writings of what? The Old Testament. Because that was the Bible that they had at the time. Then he took his place from learning uh, from the time that he was a child. He, he was trained up by his mother and his grandmother. Uh, scholars say that his father was probably Greek so his mother being Jewish would have raised him up. His grandmother would have been part of that. His schooling had been given to him by those who dearly loved him. And so then he came into an apprenticeship with Paul. And Paul Uh, through his learning, uh, transferred that learning to Timothy. And so Timothy's learning was driven deeper and deeper and even deeper into his lives, not only through his teaching, but also through his training and in his example. In verse 10, we see that Timothy had followed Paul's teaching, his conduct, his aim of life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, and his persecutings and sufferings. Yet even with all these things, Timothy was to continue to press on, to remain loyal to the truth, the apostolic gospel of Jesus Christ. So understand that even though he had had all these things, although it was driven so deep in his life, Paul here in the letter, before he's going to be executed, is telling Timothy, keep on, press on, continue on. Why is it so imperative? Why do we not still live in the last days? Are there still not dangers around us? Does false teaching still not abound? You better believe it does. And so the same charge comes to us. Whether you've been raised in the church all your life or whether you've just begun, press on, press on. Some people are prone to to say, well, I, I, I needed the Bible when I was younger, but I'm all good now that I'm older. I've got it. It's good. Um, Others say, I just don't have time. I I don't have time. I've I've got school I'm doing. I, I, I have band. I have sports. I have clubs. I have activities. I just don't have time. Or maybe it's, I'm trying to run a business. You know, the Bible would be great, but... All. Don't miss that. All. The young, the old, and the in between, the busy, the hectic, the active, whatever age and stage, all need the word of God in this corrupt world and especially in light of our deceptive hearts. Timothy was continued in what he had been taught, and so were we. Here's the thing we can never, ever. Outgrow or outdistance or outlive or outknow the Word of God. Furthermore, we need it. We need it. Why? Why would Paul press this so strongly? And again, it's, it's actually throughout the whole letter. If I were to say there's one emphasis in this letter, I would say his, his charge is just continue in that which you have learned, continue in this. Timothy. Why would he do that? Well, because, and this is an understatement, because the Word of God is valuable. And that's an understatement. What is the value of God's Word? You go to the office tomorrow morning. First morning back maybe or maybe next Thursday or whatever day you go back to work. You go to the office. And your boss looks at you and says, I'm thinking of getting some training for us in the office in this certain field that I've been concerned in for our company. What do you think? What do you think about that? Um... Maybe you go to the bookstore and you look for a cookbook to help you explore a new area of cooking that you would like to, to thrive in. And so you look at the books and you think, hmm, I wonder how this might help me. You need some medical advice. So you get online and you start searching online to all the experts to give you the right advice, right? Right. In each of these situations, you want to consider, you need to consider, are these resources reliable? Is that training reliable? Is that cookbook reliable? Is, is the medical advice I'm getting reliable? Can I trust the information I'm going to receive? Is it useful to me? Is it useful to anyone else that, that my I might be able to help and give advice to and impact? Timothy knew full well the answer to the reliability and the usefulness of Scripture. But Paul reminds him and us because we always need to be reminded, don't we? Our sinfulness carries us away. Our own desires will take us away. Our sinful hearts and minds in this broken and deceitful world will will take us away from the Word. First of all, the value that Paul lays out here and he makes clear is that the Word of God is inspired. In verse 16, the Word of God is inspired. And just what does inspired mean? The Greek word here, and it's actually translated just right in our text, is breathed out by God. This points to the fact that the Scripture's origin comes from God. It is of His initiative, His influence. Now, here's the thing that's great, and this is, it's a thing that people might struggle with, but at the same time, it's something that points us to this reality. And I want you to think about this with me. It is true that the books of the Bible were written at different times in a period uh, by about 40 authors, 39 authors, depending on what you want to do with Hebrews, Okay, over a period of approximately, get this, 1,500 years. It was written in three languages. But Peter says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Charles Hodge would later comment on this saying, inspiration was an influence of the Holy Spirit on the minds of certain select men which rendered them the organs of God for the infallible communication of His mind and will. They were in such a sense the organs of God that what they said, God said. The Bible is God's Word. To his people. It is to us, to you, to me. It is the word of God. Now think about it this way. You're a mother. You're a mother. And your son is off on uh, duty in some part of the world in the service. And he's out of tech world range. He's not allowed to, to text you or call you or snapchat with you or find you on uh, any of the uh, facetime type things that we have in the tech world he he does he can't do that but what he can do is he can write a letter and so you as a mother you go out to the mailbox and there the letter is it's it's a thick one you could tell it's thick he took some time to write this what do you do Do you walk in the house and throw it on the pile of mail that you have stacked up for the last couple days? Well, if I can get around to that, I will. I might read that. If if Tammy were in here, Tammy would not say, that's what I'm going to do. Tammy's going to grab that letter, she's going to rip that thing open, and she's going to start reading from Patrick Ryan. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what he's been wearing. I want to know if he's washing his underwear. I want to know what he's doing. And she's going to read that letter and somebody's going to ask her a question and she's going to go, well, I don't know. She goes back to the letter to look again and to see, you know, did I read this right? How am I thinking about this? This is a letter from a son it's important, it's meaningful, it's something to cherish, it's something to devour in reading. And Paul is reminding us here that the scripture is, get it, breathed out. given to you. He is our creator. He is our savior. His word is important. It's meaningful. It's something to cherish. It's something to devour and to take in in reading and hearing. Just how important is the Bible and how meaningful and how useful? Well, Paul notes here The Scriptures lead us to salvation. The Scriptures lead us to salvation in verse 15. We're not saved by believing the Bible, but by trusting in Jesus who is revealed in the Bible. In John 5, 39-40, Jesus Himself said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, it's the Scriptures that lead us to salvation as they do what? They point us to the Christ, to the Messiah that we need. So brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all, the, the, the Scriptures lead us to salvation. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, Scriptures are profitable as they have been inspired and they lead us to salvation. Thirdly, Scriptures are profitable. In verse 16b, they are profitable for teaching doctrine. They teach us what is right. This is what is right. And and the world is always trying to tweak that. Always trying to tweak that. Um, the, the Scriptures are profitable for reproof. They rebuke what's, n- what's not right in our lives. So as we read it, they not only point us to how to rightly live, but also point us to the way that we're not living right. They're for correction. They guide us how to get right. It's a correction. You know, you're in a ship and you're going the wrong way. You need a compass to kind of show you which way to go. The, the Word is a compass to us. guides us to the way we should go to true north. And for instruction and in righteousness. In other words, how to stay right. A Christian who studies the Bible and applies what he learns will grow in holiness and grace. So just think about the profitability of the Scriptures. What kind of questions might the Scriptures answer for you? Who is God? What is He like? Where did the devil come from? Where did evil come from? Why is there death? What happens after death? How do I know right from wrong? How should I treat my neighbor, my spouse? How might I go about raising my kids? How do I manage my money and deal with pain and sorrow and grief and other emotions? How about the evil in my own heart? Think just for a moment of all the things that we take for granted that come from Christianity and from the Lord's kingdom ethics. I saw a debate one time between two people, and it sort of aggravated me, aggravated me at first because I wanted the Christian guy to really come at this, this guy. He was an atheist, and I really wanted him to come at him. And the, the whole time, he just kept saying, you're stealing from me. You're stealing from me. You're stealing from me. And I was like, what in the world is he talking about? So I watched it a couple times, and I realized, He's brilliant. That's why he's doing this and I'm not. He's brilliant. He's just pointing out over and over again, you can't say that because that comes from the Word of God. It does not come from your world at all. Because in your world, it's Mike Mate's right. So can you imagine and think with me just for a moment of all the influences of Christianity in our society? What if we were Islamic? I just think it's the most crazy thing that that some of uh, the folks on the left, however you want to phrase that, will will so take up for Islam. And if Islam came to rule in 100 years, they wouldn't exist anymore, especially the women that that desire that. It's ridiculous. What are the things that come from the Lord? In the 19... 1900 to the 1958, the Wadani tribe lived in South American Ecuador, and there were about 600 of them. They were divided up into about three tribes, and anyone that would come into their area, they would kill because they thought outsiders were cannibals. So they would kill them. They would kill them, and then within those three kind of uh, t- tribal groups within the Wad- Wadani tribe, they would kill one another. He said they were down at that point to about 600 people. Then some missionaries flew into their beach. Guess what? They were killed too. But Steve St.'s sister and Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, went there. And they shared Christ with them. And those people today will testify to you, we would have killed each other off. But Jesus came. What's interesting to me about that is the, the, the anthropologists argue that it was harmful to do that to them. And I think, are you crazy? They'd all be extinguished by now. What is it really all about? The Lord has done so many great things in this world to change the tide. To bring about His truth. Think of the names of the hospitals. It's not Muhammad Hospital. It's the Presbyterian Hospital. It's the Baptist Hospital. I'm not diminishing anything that that, that Asian culture has brought into this world because they have brought many things too. But think of the influence of Christianity in this world. Think of the kingdom ethics. Finally, Paul says here the Scriptures complete and equip us for service in verse 17. In First Timothy, Paul had called him a, a godly, a, a man of God. He said, Timothy, you're a man of God. But here Paul's use of anthropos is most likely used in a generic sense referring to both men and women. Therefore, he is saying that any Christian can become a mature person of God, whole sound of body and mind, fitted for the purpose for which you were originally created. How? By studying and meditating on the Word of God, by hearing it and let it penetrate your hearts and minds, that by grace all would obey it and cherish it as a guide for their lives. Again, a Christian who studies the Bible and applies what he learns will grow in holiness and grace and thus be made into completion for every good work. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I just simply ask you, should it not be our prayer and great desire that each of us in this church would grow into mature men and women of God by renewing our minds through the Scriptures? The psalmist in Psalm 19 said, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey drippings of the honeycomb. Maybe today it would be better to say, um, sweeter also than the drippings of Hutchins barbecue. Or maybe a kale smoothie for some of you, okay? Okay. But the idea here, do you get it? Is it's the word is to be, his words are to be desired more than gold, than the sweetness of wonderful food that we crave. We must all know the great doctrines of the faith the Lord's given us. We all need to allow the word to confront our selfishness, our pride, our anger, our lust, our greed inappropriate speech. We need to allow the Word to correct us and keep us on the path of righteousness in this fallen and wicked world. We need to overflow with the Word in our worlds where we live, work, and play and bless others in its ministry of Christ. If we will turn to it and pray for its illumination, the Holy Spirit will by grace feed us its truth and wonders and point us to the Savior. In closing, one of Dr. Boyce's favorite preachers is H.A. Ironside. If you've ever read any of his commentaries, you'll see him quote and use illustrations from Dr. Ironside. Uh, Dr. Ironside tells a story of a visiting godly Irishman, Andrew Frazier, who had had come from California to recover from tuberculosis. The old man could barely speak because his lungs were almost gone, and he opened up his worn Bible, and until his strength was gone, he simply, sweetly opened up the truth after truth in a way that Ironside had never heard before. Before he knew it, Ironside had tears welling up down his cheeks, and he asked Fraser, where did you get these things? Could you tell me where I could find a book that would open them up to me? Now, did you learn these things in seminary or college? And Fraser answered, my dear man, I learned these things on the mud floor of a little cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my Bible open before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and to open the Word to my heart. He taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I could have ever learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. Join me, brothers and sisters, on the mud floor. Let us allow the Word of God to shape us with the Word of God. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. I pray that whether we jump on a Bible reading plan this year, or whether we just dig in and study maybe a letter over and over and over again, or a favorite book over and over again, I pray that you would... uh, uh, use the Word of God to shape us as your church. That we would be discerning and careful and thoughtful. Lord, when these young people go off to college, they're going to hear all sorts of things. Like anthropologists debating whether <laughs> the Walton tribe should have been left to their own in their own glorious culture of killing one another. Or whether Christ should have gone in and... and Redeemed them and saved them. Oh, Father, help us to know the truth. Help us to know the reality of it all. That your kingdom is coming. Help us to stand fast in these last days. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.